1: I am your host, Vic Jarami, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. I am here in studio with uh, my producer, Ricky Herrera. Good morning, Ricky. Hey, everyone. Uh, lots of uh, interesting things in the media, a mix of things, actually, some some sort of heavy and some sort of amusing, if you will. Uh, but let's get right into it. Let's talk about Mayor-elect Karen Bass, uh, formerly Congresswoman Karen Bass, whom I interviewed uh, just a few months ago. Her inauguration is coming up, and I was reading that they're cleaning up encampments in downtown ahead of her uh, inauguration. And uh, I don't know how I feel about that. Obviously, you know, they've got to do what they have to do to make room uh, to be able to do the inauguration. So, you know, I mean it genuinely when I say, I really don't know what to think of all of that. Uh, And I know that uh, Mayor Lech Bass is, is very aggressive on solving or at least uh, taking action about that unhoused. Uh, in LA, she wants to declare a state of emergency. Uh, it's been uh, on top of her agenda uh, when she was campaigning and such, you know, but it makes me think uh, always back to the fact that homelessness, if you will, is really cannot be just solved at the local level it's not just a local los angeles issue or a soCal issue or even a california issue but a national issue and it's not just about uh people finding places to sleep but uh, sort of a bigger topic about income uh, inequality about the disintegration of the middle class and working class it's about uh, our minimum wage really not being any kind of a living wage nationally, um, or, you know, statewide, how we treat uh, our homeless, um, including treat those that are mentally ill, uh, not that all homeless are mentally ill, uh, or people who have substance abuse problems, not that all homeless have substance abuse problems. So sort of just brings it all up again, I guess we can just hope that uh, uh, with the mayor-elect Bass, we will sort of, at least it will take a positive trajectory. So I'm just wondering what you think about all that.
0: When I hear these stories about cleaning up homeless encampments and, and whatnot, it's usually to present LA for the wrong reasons. And I'm sure when when the World Cup comes to LA and when the Olympics are in LA, we'll hear the same kind of stories. Move these people so so that the television sees something else. Right. And also, I, I want to know what happens to these people. You know, they clean up these homeless encampments, and where do they go? They go build it somewhere else. It's perpetual to me. I don't think it it solves a problem. and it's just really sad because it does highlight the equality issues we have in Los Angeles and minimum wage. Yeah, you can't rely on that. Can't afford housing, and it's it's like these employers—they're so detached from what's really going on, and all they have to do is step outside, and look around, and it's just getting awkward at this point. Yeah, you're right. It's so much of it is about optics and public relations. That's you know, all it's about. They they would not they would not be cleaning up this homeless encampment if there wasn't an, an inauguration. Yeah, it also reminds me of when Giuliani
1: used to be the mayor of New York. And uh, for a while, he was sort of uh, hailed as the guy who cleaned up New York City's homeless issue. But what really happened was, uh, in a very bully-like type of way, he, uh, he basically pushed homeless out of Manhattan into the other boroughs. Uh, so he didn't solve anything. He just drove them away and said, yeah, you go to the less expensive boroughs and be their problem. Exactly. What happens to these people is, uh, you know, they just fall through the cracks of the system. I was, I just was reminded about a conversation I had with a friend's wife who's a college professor, and she was telling me how uh, some of her students will uh, will talk to her about, you know, some like really heavy stuff, and how are they supposed to. Uh, being class and uh, learn and such when they're dealing with so many like major issues including he said uh, or she said I'm sorry sleeping in their car like literally these are students from you know families they're not they're not lifelong homeless people. They don't have substance abuse problems or, you know, mental illness or anything like that. Not that anyone who does deserves to be homeless, but it's just sort of
0: unfathomable to think that uh, a college student is sleeping in their car. The way the system is set up, it, it's set up at a upward trajectory. No one's asking for handouts and and no one's asking for an easy road, but does the road have to be this bad? Quality of life is just not really where it's supposed to be in terms of taking action, and and it's it's just sad. You talk about homelessness uh, for students in particular. Well, there's a good chance those students are probably in class and probably hungry too. Right. I mean, <laughs> we yeah. can go off into so many different directions. Mm-hmm. So, the the fact that Karen Bass is cleaning up for her inauguration it's not a surprise and it's actually uh pretty sad yeah
1: i mean i want to be clear i'm not necessarily uh criticizing her or the city or anything like that Uh, i just wanted to bring it up um as a discussion topic um, because as i said they've got to do what they got to do uh to have you know an inauguration We still can't ignore that, can't ignore the fact that um, some of these people, that little corner or that spot on the street is all they have.
0: And when they get- You know, maybe if she had her inauguration, in the homeless encampment maybe that would be a better idea maybe that would no, spark, I mean, spark spark more conversation than just pushing it aside right uh, i mean, I, I guess that's my point it is annoying for lack of a you better have term a
1: really good point it's like let's be 100 real and just, yeah. just just do it uh exactly you know in, in the situation that we're in and show the good the bad and the ugly that's an interesting perspective but let's go to the next topic and discuss uh, you know this sort of deal we just made with russia to swap um i don't know prisoners hostages whatever you want to call them
0: i wouldn't necessarily call victor bout a hostage right right <laughs> i definitely didn't mean him oh uh. I mean, what a name—the Merchant of Death. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm so glad that Brittany Griner has been released. She was taken from us, taken from her family, taken from her friends, taken from her, her love of basketball for a, a charge that just doesn't hold, hold water. And yeah, she may have been in the, in the wrong, but it did not need to get this far. And it just echoes what people have been saying for the last ten months that. That her detainment was politically motivated, yeah, absolutely.
1: Putin wanting to make an example, uh sending a message to the West, and uh, she just happened to be in the wrong place and uh, was caught up with all this. but you know there's there's been criticism from the right,
0: yeah, about all of this uh, you know, expectedly, yeah, they are pretty much up in arms, uh, giving the merchant of death, sending him back to Russia, worth the next 10 years of Brittany Griner's life. And there's arguments to be made on both sides, but the reality is dealing with Russia is not is not checkers. It's it's a game of it's a game of chess. And we should focus on the the return of Brittany and the fact that that Victor Bout is back in Russia. That's just what it is. Yeah, it's um definitely
1: not easy. There'd be fallout I think if we didn't do it, the fallout would be um worse and we'd be sacrificing an American. This is a it's major dilemma we're in right now with uh dilemma is not even close enough to to really describing it. But um, you know the the pushback from the right is expected. I just feel like no matter what the Biden administration does <laughs> there's always going to be uh, some on the right that
0: are going to criticize and say we could have done this better. We could have paid for her no prisoner swap we could have paid for her, and the right they would have they would have linked it to our economy and how much money by how much money but I mean whatever right. like you said, whatever was done, there was gonna be some uh some pushback some some criticism, yeah, exactly in the last couple of years, as you
1: know, I've been doing a lot of research on Putin and Russia and as related to my project and such so uh it's uh it's a very um complicated, a very very complicated issue.
0: Yeah, clearly the the timing of all this was was not in Brittany's favor. She was detained in February earlier this year, February of 2022, and I think literally just a few weeks, Russia invaded Ukraine, and that did that did not make things any easier. Yeah,
1: Russia when you when when you're sort of in a desperate situation that Russia is in right now. They they start to do dangerous things and they become even more
0: aggressive. That's what bullies do. Hey, so spe- speaking of a uh, you you just mentioned you've been doing a lot of research the last couple years. Yeah. I think I think everyone knows what that research has been for. I I wanted to a uh, friendly reminder to listeners that Motherland your highly anticipated documentary film feature film is available to buy or rent vimeo.com and i'm sure other platforms uh moving forward
1: yeah it's um it's actually also available on the film's website uh, which is motherland.doc.com uh motherlanddoc.com yes i'm really excited that it's finally out it's released people can watch it obviously it's about the the 2020 Um, sort of genocidal assault and ethnic cleansing that Azerbaijan and Turkey orchestrated uh, on the Armenians of the Republic of Artsakh, uh, which was sort of greenlit by both uh, Putin and uh, Trump and the world's deafening silence as this happened, uh, including the media. So yeah, because of that, I've done a lot of research um, about Russia and Putin and their involvement in the sort of the, the game of chess that's actually still being played uh, on the back of the Armenians uh, by world powers. Uh, it's a continuing humanitarian catastrophe, but because Armenia doesn't have uh, natural resources or, or much of it, it's not a significant nation. It's, a, it's as big as Rhode Island the interest uh, isn't there. So every nation, every agency, whether it's UN, Council of Europe, European Union, are sort of, it's all about self-interest. And the self-interest is that their thirst for Azerbaijani oil and gas trumps human rights and decency and democracy, uh, and the lives
0: of uh, innocent Armenians that are caught uh, in the middle. Well, I've seen the documentary. It's a must watch. I know you've been on a, a whirlwind tour the last few months. Film festivals. I mean, it, it's getting rave reviews. I mean, the the amount of uh, time and effort put into this film is uh, truly remarkable. And I can only imagine how you're feeling right now. And I I would deem it as a as a must watch. And uh, it's very thought provoking. And they they should be able to to watch this and come away with something?
1: I hope so. The, the feedback has been really incredible. I just received uh, an email from Baroness uh, Carolyn Cox, whom I interviewed for the film. Uh, she had nicest things to say. She'd watched the film. And uh, people who've seen it, you know, we're in 63 film festivals as official selection. We've won 38 awards. It's been uh, It's been quite a ride. We were shortlisted for the uh independent spirit awards and we're oscar qualified and in available in the screening room the academy screening room so we'll see what happens but you know the reality is this we probably won't get an oscar nomination or even get shortlisted and i'm not being pessimistic i'm just being a realist um i you know i as a journalist have been on the other side of the the awards Um, And not that I made this film for awards, I made it for people to see, but the awards and the film festivals and all of this, the publicity helps people to see it. And for years, I've been as a journalist on this one side where I receive over 300 emails (laughs) daily from like September to like mid-December from studios and publicists and production companies who are pushing their films for um, nominations, inviting you to premieres and screenings and such. I get all the screeners uh, before these films come out, whether they're emailed to me or they mail them to you as a DVD or Blu-ray. And then of course, there's these massive packages that they send you uh, along with uh, the screener and the the soundtrack, uh, these chachkis and these sort of gifts and such. And I have just been thinking, you know, we don't have much of a marketing budget to do that kind of a thing and to get the film out and to get it in front of uh, really key uh, members of media. And, uh, and, And that's why when you look at lists of documentary films that are on top of the media's sort of radar, They all happen to be from Netflix and Amazon and, you know, these big, big production companies and streaming services. In fact, the other day I received this coffee table book for a documentary film, this incredibly beautiful book that God knows how much it costs to make. And imagine they're sending this to voting bodies as well as, you know, press and members of media. I also happen to be a, a member of a couple of associations where we actually vote for awards too. So you know it's just like a nice reality check that when you're an independent uh, filmmaker, it doesn't matter you know how much people love the film and how important it is. Uh, it's it's virtually impossible to to get the kind of exposure that you would want for the film um, so that it can really make a difference. So there you have it.
0: yeah. You know, speaking of big business, little business, David versus Goliath, uh, KPFK, we are in our fund drive. It is our winter fund drive. It's on now because we we rely on our listeners. Individual supporters, they provide, I believe, almost 90% of KPFK's budget. And they provide 100%, I know this for a fact, 100% of the editorial independence We have thousands of members, and we want that number to go up. If you'd like to keep KPFK original, independent, please make a contribution to this radio station. Your donation, it provides the resources it takes to deliver programs like this and programs all across the network. Anywhere from from $5 to $1,000 to $5,000, any kind of donation will really, really help us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well said, Ricky. You know, we, we've been sort of struggling uh, because we don't take corporate money. We don't have commercials. Well, we've been determined to stay commercial free, uh, therefore not be beholden to outside interests. Um, dictating what we can and cannot say. And despite of that, uh, with our new interim uh, general manager, who's worked really hard, uh, we managed to really make some great changes that I'm really excited for uh, everyone to start seeing. I mean, they're, they're already happening, but some people may take longer to notice. So we have lots of great uh, changes that we've started and uh, you will see more of them as, uh, as you know, the new year comes. So this is just real sort of a a request to ask you that, you know, whatever you think you can give to a nonprofit organization, please put KPFK on top of that list as one of the very few uh, media outlets that, uh, you know, really practices free speech, tells you things as they are without much filter, propaganda, any kind of a, an agenda, if you will. Uh, it's been around since 1959. Uh, we have the strongest signal west of the Mississippi. Uh, KPFK's a name, a very respectful name has been serving Southern California and we want to continue to do that. Not just the, the Blunt Post with Vic, but all the other great shows that we have. Please consider making a pledge um, to KPFK for this holiday season, uh, your donations are 100% tax deductible. Okay. And uh, you know the year is closing, so you'll be able to use that on your taxes next year. And, I'm, and I know that you're not making a donation just for the tax purposes, but that's just uh, a bonus, if you will. Um, you can go to uh, kpfk.org uh, to make a pledge. Uh, You can also look at some of the incentives and bonuses that you can get for your pledge if you're interested in that. We hope that you give because you want a radio station that uh, salutes free speech, unfiltered news that is not a prisoner of corporate uh, dictation, if you will. But if you do want the bonuses, they are listed on kpfk.org. You can make a pledge there, and uh, you know, help us during this pledge drive. We're gonna come to you again uh, next week. We appreciate your support. I know that if I'm, if you're listening to this, you're probably uh, already a supporter,
0: um, but uh, we need you again. Yeah, and 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 please just just remember the concept of what we have going here is is really really cool and it takes it takes time and effort to, to present content. Um, a one-hour program, for instance, it represents six, six to eight hours of labor. KPFK, they broadcast uh, 168 hours of radio a week, 24-7, and 140 of those hours are provided by unpaid staff, and including the hosts in most cases, and producers. Uh, there's about... 250 staff members for KPFK. With all that together, they're putting in the work, man. They're putting in the work. And that means the facilities at KPFK are are being used and things get worn out. And every single cent of your donation will contribute to keeping these facilities uh, updated and be able to to use these facilities to put, a, to put out content. And and keep KPFK uh, a relevant news organization that is just unmatched when you when you think about when you think about other content out there that has an agenda. So you can go online to KPFK.org. It's very easy with a credit card, e check could go on to kpfk.org make a pledge anything you can give us please we really appreciate it or you can call 818-985-5735 and make a pledge and there's some gifts as vic kind of framed it earlier like a little bonus for for making a pledge uh i know 50 dollars, you get a really cool kpfk t-shirt or mug and I was looking through the gifts and there's a lot of cool stuff. One thing that stood out to me for a $200 pledge is a very cool book, uh, John Densmore from The Doors. He has a book, it's called The Seekers, Meetings with Remarkable Musicians. I can only imagine the stories this guy has. I mean, he was in The Doors. And so for a $200 pledge, you can pick yourself up this awesome book from a rock legend, John Densmore. And all the gifts, they're in alphabetical order. Just browse through them, pick something you like. and But the most important part is, is that you're, you're helping KPFK stay on the air. You're, you're helping independent news have a voice. Thank you, Ricky. And I'll just end with this. Most of you know
1: this. Ricky and I are not paid to do this show. We are uh, volunteers. In fact, most uh, KPFK programmers are volunteers. We do it because we believe in KPFK, because we love the station, and we wanna bring you um, a great show and hopefully you enjoy it and you listen to us. Um, So I'll end with that um, and just uh, hope that you go to kpfk.org and uh, make your pledge. And with that, as I was talking about the new changes, is is you know, Ricky and I have this sort of a new segment called Say What? Right, Rick Say what? Say what? Yeah, exactly. See, he did it better. That we were gonna sort of look at some of the some of the things that people say, you know, public figures, good and bad. Doesn't doesn't have to be bad, and just sort of
0: like talk about it. Let's get into the segment. We had an incident, the National Hockey League. Uh, the Kings were visiting the Ottawa Senators, and during a lull moment in the game, one sideline reporter had a moment. I'll let you listen to
2: it. I would need to say congratulations because you were just named Chancellor at the beginning of November, and I saw a quote you said, It's so important to be visible. How is your visibility just helping the university and others? It's very important, the visibility of Indigenous peoples, because. Just one second.
0: Victor Robertson again, and it's 4-1. L- as you can tell, as the sideline reporter was speaking with community elder and chancellor of the University of Ottawa, Claudette Kamanda, on live television about the importance of Indigenous visibility, the reporter kind of displayed the opposite cutting off the elderly elderly woman just as she was going to say why visibility for the indigenous people was important. Vic, what do you make of that? It's really embarrassing. It's
1: hard to watch. It's hard to watch, obviously. The obvious reasons is that you know, you're talking to uh, you know a profound, uh, respectful person who's a chancellor and you cut them off, You know, especially since nothing significant happened, if the roof of the sports stadium had collapsed, I'd say, okay, you know, the the journalist is cutting her off for something really significant. But she cuts off the chancellor of the school in the middle of a very important message, important uh, statement she was making for a very ordinary thing that happened during the game what remind what that reminds me of is how some of these some of these you know whether it's a program or question or segment that people do where they sort of do outreach right outreach to native americans or the native uh canadians or indigenous people i should say or first nations um you know whatever is the the, the correct term in this um in this situation is how much some of it is, is just sort of PR, right? So like, oh, it's uh, you know it's the right thing to do to include uh, something about indigenous people. And, you know, because I feel like if it's a genuine gesture, if it's a genuine a will to do this, you'd be so into it. I don't think you would cut her off for anything. You know, unless the actual roof of the stadium was like falling on your head. But when you are sort of just doing it because it's just the thing to do it's like the quota it's like meeting the quota of uh let's reach the minority people you know who are the minorities this week last week it was the gays this week it's the indigenous and you know it's this sort of like very condescending ways of and again you know i don't want to i don't want to be too hard hard on her because i don't know her but she certainly comes off that way but it does open up this whole kind of worms of how a lot of times these, you know, so-called outreach, it's optics and it's meeting the quota and it's for uh, PR purposes. And this was uh, clearly just a really bad move and an embarrassing uh, video to watch.
0: Yeah, the Ottawa Senators were hosting what is essentially a, an, an Indigenous Peoples Nights. So that's why they had a Chancellor Commander there, because... Chancellor Komanda is the the first indigenous chancellor of the University of Ottawa. So, you know, they they honored her that night. This TV hit, this, you know, the the sideline reporter hits, you know, they're fun. They're they're usually they're usually goofy sometimes. They'll find someone someone in the audience, uh maybe a celebrity and they'll talk to them for for a minute and stuff, but uh this one just rubbed me the wrong way because as you said, it speaks to just a, a bigger a bigger issue when it, we talk about uh, indigenous visibility. And just the moment she cut her off was just so ironic. And to to this sideline reporter, we have to say what? Say what? Say what?
1: Exactly. Well, that brings me to sort of my uh, piece uh, that I've been doing, uh, which is let's get blunt. Let's get blunt.
2: Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt.
1: I was reading uh, about the Pope and how uh you know he became tearful talking about what's been happening in Ukraine uh, which is really touching. Uh, what's what's happened in Ukraine and continues to happen is it is obviously very tragic, you know, the Russia's Russia's invasion and and just sort of massacre of these people. It's um You know, to to think that this is happening right now, it's just uh, almost unbelievable. But it is believable because we've seen what Russia has done as we talked about Russia sort of being uh, at the sort of at the helm in a way of what happened to um, Armenians of Artsakh two years ago. But what that, it touches on a sore spot for me because the Pope uh, grew up in Argentina and he grew up with... um, with a lot of Armenians that were genocide survivors who settled in Argentina. And so he knows uh, about the Armenian genocide all too well. And when Ukraine was invaded, rightfully so, the world reacted very quickly, all the international bodies, nations, and media. But what that did to a lot of Armenians, including me, was reminded me that year and a half prior to that, when, you know, almost, exact same thing happened to Armenians of Artsakh. how there was such deafening silence from the world. And that deafening silence came from the Pope also. I think the only thing Pope did one time during his prayers, he said, I'm praying for the so-called conflict, although it's not a conflict. It was a genocidal assault uh, orchestrated by Azerbaijan but he said he's praying for the conflict to end and the suffering or something like that. It was a very generic sort of a both sides comment. So my question to the Pope is, where was and still where is your compassion for the Armenian community, where Armenians of Artsakh to this day are surrounded by Azerbaijani troops in an open-air prison, their electricity and gas and internet and the only road leading up to it Gets cut off all the time. They're literally, Azerbaijan and Turkey are trying to drive out the 110,000 Armenians left over there, you know, which is ethnic cleansing, a straight up ethnic cleansing. It's a genocidal assault. Uh, how about that? How about saying something about that? What, you know, it would have been so impactful if the Pope had said just a small little thing about what was happening, but he didn't, you know, and... Uh, I don't want to get too much into it. You know, let's just say Azerbaijan has an agreement with the Vatican for a five-year plan of restoring certain Vatican monuments. Uh, Azerbaijan's President Aliyev and his wife made an unannounced surprise visit to the Vatican in February of 2020, just months before uh, Azerbaijan invaded Artsakh, uh, and they pledged 2-point-something million uh, euros for the restoration of the Sistine Chapel. Um, I'll just let you sort of analyze that in your head and where I'm going with that. So that's what I have to say. Uh, you know, let's get blunt. I didn't address this in my film uh, because there was so much other stuff to to really cover. I wish that the Pope didn't have a double standard on who's suffering to talk about. And he would use his platform and his voice to really be just as sympathetic um about the suffering of armenians and not just ukraine but people all over the world so there you have it i just got blunt let's get blunt Hi, this is Robbie Krieger from The Doors, and you are listening to fiercely independent KPFK, 90.7 FM, Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, and for the world at www.kpfk.org. Support free speech and free form radio. Peace. lot to be thankful for. If you're thankful for
2: the old family vehicle, you can let it help one more time by donating it to the KPFK Vehicle Donation Program. The proceeds will help KPFK continue the quality
1: programming you depend on throughout the year. The vehicle donation number is 877-KPFK-AUTO. That's 877-573-5288. Our representative will take care of everything. That number again is 877-KPFK-AUTO or donate online at kpfk.org. The Blunt Post with Vic. Mayor Protam Seppi Shine made history in November 2020 when she was elected to the City of West Hollywoods City Council. She became the first out LGBTQ Iranian elected anywhere globally and locally became the first woman of color elected to the West Hollywood City Council. Mayor Protam Shine is an attorney, a lifelong activist. Uh, serves on dozens of boards and committees and is a delegate to the California State Democratic Party. All right. Good morning and uh, welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. We have uh, West Hollywood Mayor Pro Tem Sefi Shrine with us. Uh, Welcome, Sefi.
2: Hi, Vic. It's so good to see you and always good to be on your show.
1: You also. There's a a lot going on and uh, we'll continue uh, to be going on till the end of the year, obviously. But, um, you know, I just want to check in with you, um, discuss things that are sort of on top of your plate, but also more specifically about what's happening in Iran. Uh, you are uh, an Iranian-American, and so, you know, obviously if you are in the middle of it and know what's happening. A lot of us are uh, following the developments, but I wanted to get your perspective on on this sort of like probably unprecedented level of unrest that's happening in Iran since the 1979 revolution. And for those of you who are listening and are wondering what I'm talking about, if you're not aware, a young uh, Kurdish Iranian girl, uh, 22 years old, uh, Mahsa Amini, was uh, arrested by the morality police because her outfit, et cetera, what she was wearing, did not quite uh, hit the mark with them, and in custody she was uh, beaten and killed. Of course, the police uh, claim otherwise and say there was a um, you know medical condition she had, etc., and that was the reason. But it's not. And so uh, you know, there's been a, a very large scale uh, unrest and protest throughout Iran uh, for this. People are. Um, Sort of fed up, especially women who are demanding their rights and freedom and uh, ends to this sort of oppression. It's been going on, um, you know, for weeks. Uh, The incident happened on September 15th when uh, she was killed and it just continues. So Seppi, let me start with this question. So in 2019, there was uh, another unrest in Iran that was sort of you know, a very large scale, but it was mostly contained in Tehran, the capital. Uh, what do you think is the difference this time?
2: Well, the difference is I think the Iranian people have gotten to uh, a breaking point of sorts at this point after uh, going through the pandemic, after uh, 80 to 90% of the country is in poverty. Um, after all of the debilitating sanctions that unfortunately ended up hurting the Iranian people more than anything. And they're fed up, they're done. They were done. Massa Amini, and her murder was the straw that broke the camel's back. And um, this is now a revolution. Started as protests. It's very different as far as the passion of the people, the fact that women are just, women have been using their bodies as shields with zero weapons. Men, young men and all sorts of men are standing up and fighting alongside the women as well. And what's also different is throughout the world, people are standing up for uh, the women of Iran. And certainly I was uh, the first council member in LA County to adjourn in memory of Masa Amini. And I posted on my Instagram, it's got 85,000 views and then the uh, city of Beverly Hills passed a resolution and all these other cities. You know, there's been protests here and um, people rising up in solidarity and sharing. And this is really the breaking point. It's time. It is, it's been 43 years of human rights violations against the people of Iran. And it is time for this Islamic regime to be removed for good.
1: This is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and I am speaking with City of West Hollywood council member and Mayor Pro Tem Seppi Shine. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think um, I am very impressed by the international community's response with the solidarity. Uh, people get it. It's not a difficult, uh, you know, subject to describe to people what's happened. I guess I'll, I'll get to the toughest question I was going to ask you at first, because you know, it's sort of, you know, I was reading about the how defiant the officials are in Iran. How today they were talking about how the punishment for uh, people protesting is going to be very swift, and they were going to, you know, do this and do that, and they seem very defiant and just very confident, uh, even smug as to where this is gonna lead. Do you think that there will be a regime change? Do you think there's a chance for that?
2: Yes, I do, I do.
1: Um,
2: It's obviously a question of when. Um, It is very, very close now, much closer than ever. And they've always been defiant. They're brutal, evil people that have uh, been masquerading as Muslims and they are not they have tainted the Muslim faith I don't I'm a Muslim and I'm sorry I don't consider their brutality to be aligned with the Muslim faith and they are being defiant because they think that that fear will quash what's happening and uh, that's why it's important for the international community to continue sharing because that is giving courage to the people of Iran, and they are so close to freedom now, and I don't think it's going to ever go back.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear that. You were very clear on where you stand on that. Um, You know, it's uh, sort of those of us that have seen, not just in Iran, but other nations where it's come so close and and sort of been squashed, as it has in the past, um, have sort of, you know, fear. Aside from solidarity on sort of a vocal bases and such, uh, is there room for the international community to support the movement, like in a substantial way, and the women and just everyone who's trying to do
0: this?
2: Yes, in many ways. I always say first, call your Iranian friends and check in on us because this revolution has really brought up a lot of trauma that has, especially for Iranian Americans. You know, I was five when my family and I fled Iran after the revolution and war. And I always talked about my story, but I've never faced my feelings and all of the childhood trauma that came from being a little girl and having my childhood taken away because of this Islamic regime and um, the war and uh, the trauma that came from that. But first call your Iranian friends and check in on them. Every single Iranian is, is really facing the feelings that we have kind of avoided for so long. Secondly, we urge people to call their congressional representatives uh, their local councils, ask them to pass resolutions, ask your local council members to put pressure on electeds in higher office, because we have as an elected, we have that power to take action. Myself and uh, 13 other female Iranian elected electeds across America, uh, released a statement. Um, and signed on and asked for a call to action. Um, What we asked for is uh, we agree with the Biden-Harris administration that all discussions on the JCPOA should be paused, and instead the American government should provide assistance in maintaining internet access uh, so that the people of Iran can continue to expose the injustices of their daily lives. Um, We urge everyone to keep amplifying the demands and the will of the Iranian people. Secondly, we urge citizens to call their federal representatives and ask them to push for a UN investigative mechanism for crimes against humanity committed by the Islamic Republic. It's also imperative that the Islamic Republic be immediately removed from the UN Women's Commission. Um, and we've been urging the Biden administration. And as a result of that, Vice President Kamala Harris has uh, requested this same that uh, from the UN that Iran be removed. So that's in process. And we really want to make sure that at the end of the day, uh, it is uh, the Iranian people that are in charge of their own destiny and freedom. So, you know, some people think, oh, America should go in and with planes and and start a war. And that's not what we are um, interested in.
1: This is the blunt post with Vic on KPFK ninety point seven FM. I am your host, Vic Jerami and I am speaking with City of West Hollywood Council Member and Mayor Pro Tem Sepi Shine. Well, that's pretty substantial and very clear um, and very peaceful, right? I mean, it's a solution. Uh, that's um, it's a solution based on solution and not sort of being stuck in the problem and sort of fanning the flames. And really supporting people. I, I mean, I, what grasped you know grabbed me most was keeping the internet alive, because we know the power of the internet and how um, people can communicate and and uh, organize and galvanize uh, by using uh, you know just whether it's Twitter or Facebook or whatnot. And also, I like the human rights factor, and I can't believe that uh, Iran's uh, current regime is under UN's uh, women's uh, committee. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. the irony there, you know, it's just uh, mm-hmm. unbelievable. It just seems like we're in a period when we're starting to hold certain, certain, certain uh, rogue regimes accountable, like Putin's regime and and now Iran's current regime, but not others. But it's okay, one by one. Iran definitely needs a break. Uh, Iranian people need a break from what they've been enduring for forty plus years since seventy nine. What do you think is um, not happening that should be happening. I
2: think major media um, news organizations need to cover this a lot more. That's something that's not happening enough. Most of the activity and information is coming through social media mm-hmm. and um, independence, independent mm-hmm. news organizations such as yourself, The Guardian, etc. cetera, major networks, it took them a long time to cover this and more needs, more coverage needs to happen because this is really the biggest women's rights movement, actually, of this century.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, and I just rights. don't understand. <laughs> it's laughable that Iran has a population of, what, 70 million plus? Something like that. I mean, mm-hmm. this if this isn't newsworthy for uh, Associated Press, Reuters, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, uh, you know, to cover them, what is? BBC, um, you know, Sky News, CNN, etc. I mean, this should be covered constantly this is a major major uh, development um, yeah. yeah I just don't understand what they're you know they rather cover Prince Harry and the royal family's rift every five minutes apparently that's that's oh. more important
2: well but, it's rooted in colonialism and um, these networks are owned by, um, by mostly white men and they don't have a a, a uh, stake in this there's Mm -hmm. no power for them to cover something like this and uphold they they'd rather uphold systems of oppression which is why um the artsakh (laughs) and the brutality um that turkey and azerbaijan committed uh, once again against the armenian people has not been covered Um, so it's exactly it's It's part of the same story, except that the pandemic and everything that people have gone through has shifted consciousness in people and we are not going to uh, be part of that same story and stories are shifting and people will, people will not. People in structures of oppression are not going to be able to hold up anymore.
1: Yeah, I hope sooner than later. Did I hear you right? And you're right, absolutely, about Artsakh. uh, And I didn't want to talk about my project or Artsakh or anything like that. But you're right. I mean, same thing with, you know, a year and a half before Ukraine, 5,000 plus Armenians were massacred in 44 days by Azerbaijan and Turkey. And yet the world is just completely clueless about it. You know, Mm -hmm. there you have it. But did I hear you right that Guardian has covered Iran well?
2: Yeah, um, I saw at least a couple of articles.
1: It's good to hear. The reason I ask you is that the same thing with the Artsakh invasion, Guardian was Guardian and Forbes were the two outlets that actually covered it well. Uh, I'm, I'm just surprised. I'm not well. I mean, I'm just impressed, and I think it's it's good to point them out and to highlight them and say, hey, thank you for doing a a good job. Um, unlike others where they just completely ignore it or they you know, they just regurgitate propaganda. But uh, thank you, Seppi, for being on the show. And uh, we'll catch up soon.
2: Thanks, Vic. Bye.
1: That was my interview with uh, City of West Hollywood Mayor Pro Tem Seppi Shine, who will be mayor on January 6th. Uh, Seppi, thank you very much for being on The Blunt Post with Vic. Uh, and I will chat with you again hopefully soon. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera without whom this show would not be possible, and KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial-free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic.
2: The Blunt Post with Vic.